we're going to look today on Pentecost Sunday at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 18, and a little bit further on. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. And then on to verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. I want to speak to you today about encountering the person of the Holy Spirit. Today, Pentecost Sunday, is a significant day. A bit like the commemoration of the D-Day landings 75 years ago, today we remember that historic shifting moment when the church was birthed, when God poured his Holy Spirit into his people. And they are catapulted, projected all around the known world. And as I've been praying for today, I've really been asking God that this would not be so much about my words, but that each one of us would experience, encounter a demonstration of God's power. 
Emily, my wife and I, we have four sons, three teenage boys and a nine-year-old going on 19. And uh, on our fridge at home, we have some house rules. And really, these are kind of just a given in our house. It's kind of our, our modus operandi. It's as a family, this is kind of the way that we want to operate or at least aspire to operate. So these are our house rules. Number one, hang up towels. Number two, make your bed. Turn off lights. Turn off your stereo. Turn socks the right way around. That is really important, that one. If you do the washing in your house, you know that's important. Hang up jackets, put dirty linen in the linen bin, place dirty things in the dishwasher, recycle, very eco-friendly. Then finally, everyone praying, everyone giving, everyone serving. That's how we roll in our house. <laughs> Last Thursday, as we were preparing and praying for this day, uh, one of our team had a prophetic word. They got a picture, and what they sensed was that they, they saw this picture of a little boy who had found a well. But the well was covered over, boarded up. There was all this kind of sort of vegetation that had grown over it. But as the little boy uncovered the well, he discovered that actually the source was unchanging. It didn't look like it on the surface, but the water had always been there. And this picture in his mind's eye coincided with being reminded of when he'd been at our house and he'd seen these house rules on our fridge. And what he felt like the Holy Spirit said to him was, these are the house rules of HDB. These are our sort of modus operandi. The way we want to do things. The stuff that's a given. And that's about encountering the Holy Spirit. I think about the history of this church. Some of you, I'm sure, perhaps many of you, were there in the, the 80s, the 90s, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in a really uniquely tangible way in this church. Cues of people trying to get into church coming down the drive. The moment where Nicky Gumbel was prayed for, received the Holy Spirit. And as he was being sort of carried out of the room, the person leading that meeting pointed at him and said, God is anointing that man for evangelism. Just think of the countless people over the last few decades that have been impacted through this church, through the work of Alpha. It may be that today you feel a little bit like that well. Maybe in some respect you feel covered over or it's hard to see. But actually, I want to encourage you tonight that that source of living water is still available. That water is still flowing. God wants to meet with each one of us tonight so that we might know streams of living water flowing from within. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But how does he do that? What can we learn from this passage that we've just read? The first thing is to expect the Holy Spirit. It starts with an attitude of expectation. 
In that first verse, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Why were they all together? Jesus, after his resurrection, before his ascension, he had spoken to his disciples. He'd told them to wait in Jerusalem for what the Father had promised them. And here we find these disciples, about 120 of them in this upper room. They're waiting expectantly for what God has promised. Personally, I find waiting really, really hard. I don't know about you, but whether I'm waiting for a, a bus or in the supermarket queue, at the dentist, traffic lights, waiting's difficult. I heard some research done by the group that owns the chain of hotels, uh, the Ritz-Carlton Hotels. They said that a number of years ago, the, the wait time that people would be willing to endure before they would complain in reception was four minutes. Now that time has dropped to 20 seconds. We don't like waiting, but this is far more than waiting at the traffic lights or waiting at the dentist. When Jesus says wait, he's saying position yourself to receive. Get ready for what's coming. It's a position of humility. To wait means to put aside all of our distractions despite the busyness, despite our diaries, despite our own priorities. This is saying we're waiting for you. We're on your agenda. And that's what the disciples did in that upper room. They waited and they prayed. They prayed and they waited. And when we give time to seek the Holy Spirit, he comes. It says, when two or more are gathered in his name, there I will be amongst them. That's what happens when we gather together in our Sunday services like this, in our connect groups, I don't know how many of you came on Tuesday night to Kingdom Come. It was just absolutely amazing. This place was full, over 700 people here for no other reason than just to pray, to worship, to encounter the Holy Spirit, to hear his voice prophetically. And that's our prayer, isn't it, for focus. When we all go together this summer, we wanna be together, unified, so that we can experience the Holy Spirit to go expectant. I believe that God wants to raise our level of expectation. Ask him to speak to you. Ask him to speak to you on behalf of others. In February half term, uh, just gone, my wife Emily, she took my eldest son Jack, who's 16, to a Christian conference called Naturally Supernatural. It's run by a church called Soul Survivor. And they were at this conference. They wanted to learn a bit more about ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit and the prophetic and those kind of things. And after one of the sessions, my son, Jack, he, he just thought that God might be speaking to him about one particular man. And so he sort of plucked up the courage and he went up to him and he said, you know, I think God might be saying to you that you're gonna have a significant conversation and it's because you're wearing shorts Obviously, since then, I've spoken to Jack and said, Jack, it's not very theological what you're saying. I didn't do that. They had the lunch break. A couple of hours later, this guy came back into the meeting, found Jack and said, you're not going to believe what's just happened. 
Apparently he was walking down the road off to get some lunch and a guy shouts at him from across the road saying, Oi mate, you're brave wearing shorts in February. In that moment, rather than just kind of ignoring him or looking a little bit embarrassed, he decided to engage. He remembered the word that Jack had just given to him. His expectation was lifted. They ended up having this conversation. This man got speaking to him, pouring out his heart to him. It turned out he'd had a really, really difficult year, financial struggles, health issues. And this man who'd been at the conference had the chance to pray for him and tell him about Jesus and show him where the church was and invited him to attend one of the services. It all started with expectation. Let's be expectant. At the end of this service tonight, we're gonna have an opportunity and some of you will be very familiar with this. Maybe tonight if you're new or if this is your first time, it won't be so familiar, but just an opportunity to pray, come Holy Spirit. And during those times of ministry, we don't want to just wait passively. This is not a passive waiting. This is an active waiting. Let's be expectant. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to experience the Holy Spirit. We read in verse 2 that suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. After waiting expectantly, the disciples experience the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just a nice sort of peaceful thought process that they went through. This was real, physical, tangible. It said that they, they heard it. They heard what sounded like a violent wind. The Hebrew word, in the Old Testament, ruach, it literally means breath or wind. It's used to speak of the Spirit of God. And the day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of the promise when Jesus breathed on the disciples and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So they heard it. They also saw it. It says what seemed to be like tongues of fire rested upon each of them. They experienced the Holy Spirit. But the experience of the Holy Spirit was not just a one-off historic event. It wasn't just for them. It was for you and it's for me today. No one is excluded. No one's disqualified. Everyone is included. There's the prophet Joel. He prophesies, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. All means all. And he goes on to talk about male and female rich and poor, young and old. Everyone means everyone. And supremely an experience of the Holy Spirit is an experience of the love of God. The Apostle Paul says that the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We can experience something of the extravagant generous love of the very creator of the universe. I first experienced the Holy Spirit when I was a teenager. I was about 13 years old and I was in this youth group in a church and my parents had agreed to host the youth group at their house. 
So we would gather together and there was about 20 of us and it was a sort of pretty standard youth affair. It's pizza at the beginning, a few icebreakers, a little bit of time of worship. And then the person who was leading that meeting said, now what we're going to do is we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I remember thinking as a 13-year-old, uh-oh. <laughs> I felt a little bit nervous and I was like not too sure to begin with. And to be honest, when we first started praying, it did feel a little bit awkward. But as we waited, I can remember just beginning to sense the Holy Spirit. This kind of, I suppose it was a, a feeling of being loved, of being known. And I just remember tears started rolling down my cheeks and I was kind of thinking, why is that happening? I'm, I don't feel sad. But actually when I look back on that, I think it was, it was almost like this relief, this relief that I could finally, in an unguarded way, just let down my defensive, defenses to know that God knew me, loved me, had a plan and a purpose for my life. It was at that time that I sensed God was calling me to serve the church. And privileged to say in a way, it's the only thing I've ever done. It's the only job I've ever had. And it's the same now. It's during the worship. Just experience the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing. Paul says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Rick Warren, the American pastor, he says to feel loved by God is the starting point for every ministry, every revival, every renewal, every awakening. It starts with knowing the love of God. I love, I'm a big fan of sort of Charles Wesley, the 18th century revivalist, founder of the Methodist movement and this is what Charles Wesley wrote in his journal. This, this is actually, this isn't his journal. This is a copy of his journal, obviously. But um, January the 1st, 1739. He says, Mr. Hall, Kinchin, Ingram, Whitfield, Hutchins, and my brother Charles were present at our love feast in Fetter Lane. Now, before you get any ideas in your mind, a love feast in those days was kind of just what they called a gathering of Christians. It was kind of what we might call authentic community. Okay, so no love island, anything like that. Get this. About three in the morning, as we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. They experienced the love of God. And that's what people experience today on Alpha. And my wife Emily was telling me that last year on Alpha, in the Alpha weekend, sort of on the Saturday night when they pray, come Holy Spirit, she was praying for this lady called Kate and as she was praying for her, Kate was kind of shaking just under the presence and the power of God. And she was crying during that time. But afterwards, Emily said, well, what was happening? And all Kate could say to Emily was, it's true, isn't it? He's real, isn't he? It's true, it's real. And just over and over, she just kept saying, it's true. He's real, isn't he? He knows me. He loves me. 
in that moment, she was totally changed and transformed through the love of God. And of course, sometimes people get a bit worried or nervous, particularly about experiences that involve sort of feelings or emotions. But we all respond differently as we might respond differently to good news or watching a film or going to a sporting event. Even here in this passage, we can see that there are different possible explanations, different responses for what happened. Some were perplexed, some were bewildered, some questioned, some were cynical. They made fun of them. They said they'd been drinking too much. But some of them were amazed. They exercised faith and God indeed was doing something amazing. This was a reversal of Babel. There's this amazing parallel with the Old Testament. When Moses went up onto Mount Sinai, you can read about it in Exodus 19, and he receives the Ten Commandments. And in that moment, fire comes from heaven, consumes the sacrifice. And that moment where Moses receives those is exactly 50 days after the Passover. Here in the New Testament, again, exactly 50 days after Jesus' death, we see fire fall from heaven in that upper room. The disciples being empowered with the presence and the fire of God coming. This time not with rules and regulations, but with a new promise of forgiveness, of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. So let's expect, let's experience, finally let's exude the Holy Spirit. If you exude something, you put it on public display. I love that verse 39. It says, the promise is for you. But it doesn't just stop there. It says, for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The Holy Spirit fills us as his church but it's not just for us. It's not just so that we can have nice meetings. It's not just so that we can do something at the end of our services. God fills us so that we might take this love out into the world. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. We're to go public with this. That's exactly what the disciples did. And here in these passages, we get a glimpse of what a community looks like filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. We see that they declare the truth of the Word of God. I love Peter. You know, he stands up, gives an explanation. One of the most powerful sermons ever given. 3,000 people give their life to Jesus. They're called to the evangelization of the nations. They see explosive growth. It says that many were added to their numbers daily. God gave these disciples a vision that was so much bigger, so much more audacious than they could ever do in their own strength. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then his promise, and I will be with you. 
That's what each one of us is called to do. See, when the people built the Tower of Babel, they were wanting to make a name for themselves. They were wanting to do it in their own strength. But God knows that we can't do it in our own strength. At work, at school, in college, university, in our relationships, in marriage, through suffering, through difficulty, through bereavement, through tragedy. God sends his Holy Spirit to us, the comforter, the one who gives us boldness, courage. And that's what enables us to keep going, to keep the faith, to stay tenacious in this vision. And that's what happened to the disciples in this moment. They're given a love, a new love for God and worship, a new love for one another. That's why the community in the church is meant to look different. He gives them a new love for the lost, those outside the church, a new love for the poor. It said they gave to everyone as they had need. These people transformed society. And it was through the love that they had experienced that they were able to give to those around them. And that's what we're called to. That's why we do the homeless shelter. That's why we want to go into the prisons. That's why we want to plant churches on urban estates. That's why we want to help the poor, the needy, the marginalized. That's what we're called to as a church. The Apostle Paul encourages us to be filled not to get drunk on wine, but to be filled. What that means is to go on being filled. It's like the uncovering of that well. I don't know where you are tonight, whether you feel on top of the world, or whether you feel like I need to be empowered again by the Spirit of God to enable me to live, to enable me to have faith. That's what happened to these disciples. They were a new society, a new people. They were the church on fire. And that's what God longs for us, that we would be united in prayer, tenacious through suffering, humble in serving, generous in giving, not impotent but potent with the power and the presence of God. John Wesley is often quoted as saying, light yourself on fire with passion for God and let other people watch you burn. That's what we can do when we go out into this world, into our neighborhoods, our communities, our lives being a demonstration of the difference that he's made to us. Can I encourage you, let's be expectant Let's experience the Holy Spirit afresh and let's exude his spirit as we go out from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.